0: How are you? You good? It's a question we ask a lot. How are you? But you know those people you run into, and they ask you, how are you? And then they like stare into your eyes like they're peering into your soul. And you're like, oh, you really want an answer. Like, hold on, let me think. How am I? I don't even know. I want to ask you, I want to ask you at that level today. How are you? Like if I came down to your seat and looked into your soul and asked, what would the answer be? Some of us walked in here and it's really good. And it's been a good week. And there's a lot to rejoice in. Others of us, were sad, we're anxious, we're all over the place. Every one of us in here is in a bit of a different place. And even though if I asked that question, we'd all use similar words, there's a varying degrees of what those words would mean based on the circumstances we're walking through. But I want you to think about that, how how are we walking in here today and and i i want to start there because we are in this amazing passage in exodus chapter 3 and exodus chapter 4 where as God appears to Moses at this burning bush and God has called Moses to this great task of going back to Egypt to deliver his people out of bondage, again and again, God reveals more and more of the character and the nature of who he is. And, 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 and in this, these two chapters we're looking at, there's these 10 characteristics, I'm calling them, of the, of the greatness of God. And last week we looked at the first four of these and this week we look at the, the final you know five through 10 Um, But I want us to understand something today. Yes, for sure, what we are doing and what we will see in these two chapters is more of this beautiful picture of who our God is. But I I want us to understand that, that impacts the way that we answer the question walking in here today, how are you? the way we view God and our understanding of God impacts, if it was just an awesome week and there's so much to rejoice in, understanding who God is turns your heart vertical to rejoice with him and worship over it. If you walked in here sad, understanding who God is impacts the way you navigate sadness and navigate anxiety and navigate everything that comes in life. And so my, like my one, you know I'm, Why I'm starting here is because one of my biggest fears for us is that this can just become a class on more of the nature and character of God, which is so valuable. But I'm telling you today, this impacts your marriage. This impacts the way you parent. This impacts the way you view your job this week. How we understand who God is impacts everything. You with me? So let me take a breath. Because what we got to see as we continue this week, remember I'm preaching one sermon over the course of two weeks, because last week's sermon would have been 90 minutes if I didn't break it in half, and we're looking in these two chapters of Exodus at, at this, big, this big idea, and don't even try to write it down again, but God is a holy and personal God who goes with us. He is self-existent and sovereign, full of supernatural power. He's our maker and helper who possesses all authority, is perfectly just and worthy of worship. We see all of that in these two, these two chapters here. So last week, as I said, we took the first four. God is holy, holy, holy. Our God is personal and near. Our God goes with us. Our God is the self-existent one. Today, we pick it up in the middle of Exodus chapter three. And let me pray as we pick up our sermon here. Father, I pray right now, God, that you would uh, lead and guide our time. God, I ask that you would meet with us. Lord, we're here because we need you. We need to see more of who you are. We need to hear from you. We need your word to speak to us. God, please, will you do that? Will you help us? Will you give us eyes to see? Will you give us ears to hear? All by the power of your spirit, Lord. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let me give us the the fifth of these 10 characteristics. The greatness of our God, number five, is this. Our God is the sovereign one. Now, I'm going to pick up this story here in Exodus 3, verse 16. The Lord has just revealed his name, I am who I am, Yahweh, to Moses. And uh, the Lord continues here. And I want you to see the sovereignty of God at play and God saying what's about to happen to Moses. Exodus 3, verse 16. He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I've observed you and what, and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will, and look at what it says here at the beginning of verse 18 about what the elders will do. And they will what? God tells him they will listen to your voice. Is that me? <clears throat> One time time when we met in the school, I punted a mic. I'm close, okay, but I've grown. I've grown. I've grown. Work in progress, sanctification. The Lord sanctifies me through microphones. Praise his name, amen. Back to the text, verse 18, and they will listen to your voice. The Lord tells Moses, I've called you to this. You're going to go back to the elders and they are going to listen to you. It's a, it's a sovereign and providential act of God. He's going to give you favor in the eyes of the elders. But it gets, it gets even better than that. Back to verse 18. Uh, and, And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go. It's so interesting. God says, I know the king isn't going to let you go unless something happens, unless compelled by a mighty hand. Do you know whose mighty hand that might be? Verse 19, or verse 20. But I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do. And after that, he will let you go. So the Lord has told Moses, you're going to have favor in the eyes of the elders. They will listen to you. Uh, The king of Egypt would not let the people of Israel go unless a mighty hand compels him. Good thing our God is the God of the mighty hand. He is going to compel him. But then it gets even better. Verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold, jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. In the sovereignty of God, in his sovereign hand, The elders, yes, they're going to receive you. You're going to have favor. I will stretch my hand out against the king of Egypt. Proverbs 21.1 tells us this about the Lord. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Amen? And then, just as like a cherry on top, he's like, ladies, listen, on your way out, go to your neighbor and be like, hey, I need your gold, silver, and jewelry. And they'll be like, here you go. This is the work of a sovereign God. This is the power of a sovereign God. Moses has been going back and forth. I don't know. I don't think I'm the guy for this. I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, I I just want out. And the Lord says, listen to me. I'm going before you. You will have favor with the elders. I will turn the heart of the king. And you will have favor in the eyes of the Egyptians in such a way that you will plunder them as you are leaving. Only our God can write a story like this under the power of his sovereignty. And now, on that note, I just, I just want us to rest for a minute in the sovereignty of God. We worship a God who is sovereign. He is in control. Now, sometimes, this doctrine of the sovereignty of God should, that, that should give the believer great rest and lead to great trust and lead to great worship, I often hear talked about in a way that has made believers restless. You often hear questions about the sovereignty of God. If God is sovereign, then dot, dot, dot. And those are good questions. I'm not saying we shouldn't ask questions like that. We should. We should wrestle with them. But what I do want us to hear today is we worship a God who is sovereignly in control, and that should bring rest, not restlessness to our hearts. We can rest in that today. And so the Lord has said, go, I'm telling you, I've sovereignly and providentially gone before you in such a way. And Moses still continues to delay his obedience. Exodus 4 verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses still is seeing this in the eyes from a human perspective. He's going, I'm going to show up to the people of Israel in Egypt, and I'm going to say, God has sent me to you, and God has said, and they're going to be like, you're a crazy, man. The Lord did not appear to you, and so the Lord is going to take care of that right now. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. You're like, yeah, he did. How many of you are right there with Moses, right? You throw a stick on the ground, it's a snake you're Fast gone. Now for Moses, it gets more interesting. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. Uh-uh. But Moses obeyed, so he put it on, so he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. From staff to snake to staff. Now verse 5 tells the, you know, the Lord tells us what the purpose of this miraculous sign is. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Moses, this supernatural power that I'm giving you power to perform is for the purpose of the people believing. But God's not done there. Verse 6 Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. How many of you think Moses just sat there like. The Lord's not done. Verse 9, if they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground, on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Picture of water from the Nile, pour it on dry ground, it'll become blood. These supernatural signs, these supernatural powers that the Lord is putting in place here To prove to the people that the Lord himself has appeared to Moses. Number six, ten characteristics of our great God is this. Our God is the God of supernatural power. Let me just remind us, and I know we're sitting here in a Bible church and we probably already do. But let me just remind us, we're not reading fairy tale here. This happened. This is true. This is fact. Again and again, throughout biblical history, you see God show up and perform supernatural wonders for his glory and for the good of his people so that they will believe. Now, I want to just make a comment on, on this idea of God's supernatural power because I think for us today as contemporary westerners we we can fall into two ditches when it comes to an understanding of the supernatural power of God the first ditch that we fall into as contemporary westerners is just to deny anything that looks smells or feels supernatural we, we are comfortable with those things that are natural phenomena, and we get really uncomfortable with even sometimes the idea of God working in a supernatural way. Can I remind us today? The God who commanded Moses to throw a staff on the ground that turned into a snake, who exercised his supernatural power, is the same God of supernatural power today. He can perform miracles. He is able Is his arm too short? It's a biblical expression. If you're like, where'd that come from? It's a biblical expression. His arm is not too short. He is able. He can do it. And we need to take great caution of speaking or living in a way like we don't believe God is able to do what God is certainly able to do. We need to take great caution to not say that God is not able to do something God is able to do. This is the ditch of denial. I just deny functionally any supernatural act of God. But I think there's a, another ditch on this topic, and it's called what I call the ditch of demand. God, I demand you do miracles. I demand. And and, and often we don't say it like that, but sometimes I think what can happen is in our faith journey what we like or what we would love is that God just string together all these mountaintop miracle moments again and again to sustain our faith and what can happen is when we read our bible we think that's what's happening it's just mountaintop miracle moment again and again and again uh, let me take the book we're studying for example we're like, man, we're, we're three chapters into Exodus, and it's like, he was born, he was laid in a basket on the edge of a river, he was providentially found by Pharaoh's daughter, and then he, like, fled to Midian, and then he's watching some sheep, and, and then God appears to him in a burning bush, but can I remind us of something? From the basket in the rif- river to the fleeing to Midian, 40 years passed. And in his time in Midian, before he goes back to Egypt, that's another 40 years so, the Christian faith, this walk with God, isn't just, it's not just God's job to string together mountaintop miracle after mountaintop miracle after mountaintop miracle. In fact, there's a lot of lowland walking throughout this Christian life of just abiding with Jesus in the everyday normal of life. Both of them are supernaturally awesome miracles of the Holy Spirit, by the way. You in me? Really? We good? So that these are the two ditches, as I think we can sometimes think about God's supernatural power. And we're affirming together today. We're not going to deny that God's able to do what God's able to do. We're also not going to demand that he just sustain my faith by just miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. We want to walk and abide with him as he seeks to do what he's going to do. Now, if you're Moses and you just threw a stick on the ground and became a snake, you just stuck your hand, you're like, now's the time to be like, okay, I'll go, Right? He's not there yet. Verse 10, chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. He's like, Lord, you're telling me to go talk to one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth and, and, and the Egyptian pharaoh. And I'm not eloquent of tongue. I'm not a good speaker. And I'm slow of speech. I don't speak well. You're asking someone who's slow of speech to go speak on your behalf to the most powerful man on the face of the earth. This makes no sense. Look how God replies, verse eleven. Then the Lord, then the Lord said to him, "Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord?" Are you catching what he's saying back to Moses? What's he saying? When I knit knit you together in your mother's womb, I knit you together to be not eloquent of tongue and slow of speech. And then he says, this is pretty cool, verse 12, now therefore go, and he doesn't just say I'll be with you. What's he say? I will be with your... I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Number seven, our great God. Ten characteristics of the greatness of God. Our God is our maker and helper. Now, I'll tell you, of all ten of these, this one has spoke, spoken profoundly to me over the last two weeks, and I'll tell you why. I find it remarkable that when Moses comes to the place where he says, I'm, I'm not eloquent, I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech, that God's response is, who made you like that? I did. I know that God's saying, I know I am sending someone who is slow of speech to be my spokesperson to the most powerful man on the face of the earth. I know that because as you go, you will not lean on your eloquence. You'll lean on the power of God. And so he says, I'll help you. I will, I, I'll be with your mouth. Will you think about that statement? That it's not just God goes with us in some abstract sense of God going with us. God goes with us down to the details of the movements of this man's tongue. What if the weaknesses that bother you are God's means to do his greatest work through you. In a world of strengths, it's all about strengths. And I think there's some wisdom to all the stuff that's out there. I'm not knocking it, but in a world of strength, maximize strengths. Build on your strengths. Strength, 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 strengths. What if some of the greatest ways God will work through you are those weaknesses about you, the way he made you, that you, frankly you would change? Because as God's power works through our weaknesses, the rest of the watching world can't go, wow, that all happened by his wisdom, or her eloquence, or his power, or her. The rest of the watching world has to look at it and go, that guy? That girl? The power of God must be at play here. And he gets the glory. And so he says, I can't talk well. And God's like, yeah, I made you like that. But I'm going to be with your mouth. And now Moses, just broken down, doesn't know where else to go, lays it out pretty directly in verse 13. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Don't you love that? God, I got nothing left. I just don't want to do this. You are God. You can find anyone else. Just send someone else. I got in trouble as a teenager, and I remember uh, my dad was out of town the night I got in trouble, but I knew he'd be back home the next morning. And so I laid there the whole night wondering, okay, what am I looking at tomorrow morning? And I, I remember waking up, walking upstairs, turning the corner. My dad's sitting in the kitchen. He says, get your shoes on. Son, and I said, okay, you know, what do I, I got to do based on what happened last night? And he told me what I had to do. And I'm like, I will do anything else. I will mow your lawn for 35 years before I have to do I will do, I'm pleading with him. Dad, do not make me do that. I will do anything else. He's like, get your shoes on. Let's go. Moses is like, send anyone else, Lord. And now... You see some very, very important things. And it's kind of a holistic picture of the character of God. Verse 14. Then, then what? Then the anger of the Lord. Can God get angry? And still be good? Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and he will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you, uh, for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Now, what I love about God's reply here, and I'll just say it like this number eight, 10 characteristics of the greatness of God. Our God is the authoritative one. Now, that word authoritative can get knocked in our day, but what is beautiful about this passage to me is you see the authority of God coming out here, but you see this holistic picture of the goodness of his authority. What I mean by authoritative is this the commands of God are exactly that, they're commands, they're not options to be considered. Their commands to be obeyed. And when Moses continues here, and when Moses comes to a place where he says, just send someone else, the first thing that you see here, it says, the anger of God was kindled. God has a righteous anger. And when Moses continues in his disobedience, the Lord's anger is kindled. Why? Because Moses' disobedience is an affront against the glory of God and is ultimately harmful to Moses. God is passionate for his glory and God loves his kids. And when we persist in our unbelief and disobedience, God's anger is kindled. But now look at God's long-suffering patience. Five times Moses has said, no, 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 no. And God has been long sufferingly patient. How many of your kids get five times, right? You know, strike one. You've you've five strikes in your house? Think of how long suffering, patient God is with Moses. Then look at God's merciful provision to him. Your brother, he speaks pretty well. You want him to go with you? But in all of that, verse 17, I love where God ends. He says, take in your hand the staff, which you shall do the signs. Moses, you're doing this. You're not getting out of this. There is a command, and it is to be obeyed. Our God is the authoritative one. Folks, let me remind us. When God calls and when God commands, it's not just an option to consider amongst many options. When God commands, we obey as a command of the God of the universe. He is worthy of that. He is the one with authority for that. And at this, Moses begins to head in the direction of obedience. Verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, go back... To Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And so his family is up on these donkeys. He's got the staff of God. He's heading in the direction of obedience. Verse 21. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your heart or in, in your power. But then we see this. But I will harden his heart. And this is the first of 10 times you have some direct expression of the Lord hardening Pharaoh's heart. Or God saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I want to note that there, but then I want to teach on that more here in a couple of weeks when we come to it again. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord Israel is my firstborn son. So, so what does he call Israel? His firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill. I will kill. What? I will kill what? I'll kill your firstborn son. And so you have this string of Israel is my firstborn son. If, if firstborn son. If you refuse to let my son go, I will kill your firstborn son. And there's some foreshadowing there of what is coming. But then something very interesting happens as Moses is on his way back to Egypt. Verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. So God let him alone. It was then that she said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Straightforward enough, right? Verse 27. How many of you ever come to this passage as you've been studying Exodus and you're like, what is going on? Thank you. (laughs) Let's talk about what's going on at a high level here. Moses is on his way back to lead God's covenant people out of their bondage and into the promised land. The sign of the covenant of God's people is the sign of circumcision. You have Moses heading back with his family to lead the people of the covenant who've been, you know, the males have been given the sign of the covenant out into the promised land And Moses hasn't even enacted that own sign of the covenant in his own household. What you see here is the justice of God welling up. God has shown up on the scene... To call this to justice. It's an affront against God that Moses would go back to lead the covenant people out without enacting the sign of the covenant in his own household. And God has shown up to call him to account for that. Praise God for a great wife. I got one amen over there. Guys, I set you up and you blew it. I got one amen. (laughs) Zipporah, his wife, somehow discerns what's going on, circumcises their son, and now through this sign of the blood of the covenant of circumcision, the Lord's justice abates. And Moses is able to go. Number nine. The greatness of our God. Our God is the perfectly just one. Now, I recognize this little paragraph we have in our Bible here in our 2022 contemporary culture. You're like, I can't even get some of what I can't even fully understand that. Here's what we need to know. God in his justice has shown up to call Moses to account for his lack of fulfilling the sign of the covenant. God doesn't need to explain to me his justice on that. He's perfectly just to do it. But can I tell you what I'm thankful for based on this passage? I'm thankful that as God has sought his justice on the sin of the world in which we deserve his wrath, he instituted a new sign of the covenant in which he poured his wrath out on his son who shed his blood for us in such a way that through Christ once we believe and once we're in Christ there is not one ounce of that wrath less for us Christ has fulfilled the justice of God and appeased the wrath of God on our behalf The moment we believe, we now are people that the New Testament calls are circumcised in heart. If you're new to the faith and you're like, what are these people? It's a weird expression to you. But what it means is the moment we believe, we've been circumcised in heart, made one of God's children who now worships him out of a fact that we have a new heart given to us by the one who appeased the wrath of God by the blood of the covenant. But our God is a perfectly just God, and you see his justice come to bear right here. So after all of this, and folks, has there been a lot? From the moment Moses saw a burning bush and walked over to it, to all the back and forth of what we learn about God by both what God declares and what God does, to this moment here where we see the justice of God coming down in power to kill Moses for his failure in this and God's justice appeased through through the sign of the blood of a covenant, this now ends in such a fitting and perfect way for all the ways that we've seen God displayed here. Look at what it says in verse 27. The Lord said to Aaron... Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God. There it is again, Sinai, Horeb. So Aaron goes out to meet Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak. And all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And based on the peoples of belief, they respond. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had sent their affliction, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Tenth, final, characteristic of the greatness of our God. Our God is the one worthy of worship. Do you know what worship means? It means to ascribe worth. Worship means there is nothing or no one higher in my life that is more worthy of praise. And when the elders and Aaron and Moses hear that God has seen their affliction, God has heard their cries, God knows and God has come down and God is going to deliver them. The the their Their overflow of believing this reality is just to bow their head in reverent worship. And for us, church, these last two weeks, as we've just been confronted in these two chapters again and again, the holiness of God. But the fact that in his holiness he's so personal and near that he would go with us. And yet he's perfectly justice. And yet he's so long-sufferingly patient. What other response do we have than just to bow our head and worship and say, thank you, Lord. We can't fully fathom you. We could dwell on the character and the nature of our God until we die, and we're just scratching the surface. But you know what? We're going to dwell deeper again and again every day. But not just to know these things. But because when we live a life of bowed head worship, it changes everything about how we live. so just the fitting response as we mimic the elders of Israel here whose heads bow and worship will you just stand with me what other, re- what other response can we give him after these two weeks of just time after time ten characteristics of his greatness God is a holy and personal God who goes with us he's self existent and sovereign full of supernatural power he's our maker and helper who possesses all authority, is perfectly just and worthy of worship. Amen. Let's bow in worship and sing this together.